0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Bill Allen. Bill, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Beth.
0: So, I'll tell you the story of how he ended up here. It was, we met last January, January 2022, at a conference at um, IIREC, which is how I met a lot of the guests on the podcast. But it was, I had just started my podcast. I was very excited. I, I met Bill. I, I thought he had a lot of great things he could share. I said, Bill, you want to come on the podcast? And he was like, no, I I, have to, I he said that he wanted to practice saying no more. He's, he used to say yes, too much. Now he's saying no, but he said if you get to 50 episodes and you stay consistent for, for that long, he'd be willing to come on the show. And as you, as you know, as you've been listening for a while, you know, we've gotten 50, we're at 60 episodes. So um, he stuck to his word and I appreciate that a lot. So uh, yeah, Bill, appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me, Ben. It's uh, I remember that conversation. I usually tell people 100. I say, you got to have 100 shows before I'll come on the show with you. Uh, but I said, due to your age, I'll do it at 50. So here we are.
0: Absolutely. And um, part, of the, part of the trade, he also gave me this book. He's the author of Seven Figure Flipping Underground and the owner of Seven Figure Flipping. So we're going to learn a little bit about what that is. Also, he has a ton of different real estate businesses. So we have a lot of expertise. So definitely to learn about how all that goes together. But to start, um, Bill, I'd love to know what you are. Give us a little bit about your background and then uh, I'd love to hear what your first milestone in real estate is.
1: Sure. Um, <clears throat> so my background, I, I went to a college at Georgia Tech. I'm an engineering. I'm kind of an engineer nerd, like math and science is my jam. So I was a mechanical engin- engineer. I got a, a master's in aeronautical engineering. I went in the, the Navy. So I was a pilot in the Navy. I, I retire in a couple months. Um did 20 years in the Navy. I did 15 years of active duty and then went in the reserves. So I still work for the Navy part-time. I got a couple real estate businesses. I have a real estate business that flips in wholesale houses. I have a hard money lending company. I have a uh, apartment company where we buy apartment buildings and then we reposition them and sell them. And some of them we hold on to. I also have a owner finance company up in Kentucky where we buy houses, fix them up and then sell them on owner financing to buyers that can't afford or can't uh, qualify for a typical mortgage. That's a great business. I love that one. That kind of pays me like three times and then forever. I really like that one. And then uh, I have a farm. I have a 13 acre farm behind my house where we feed people really uh, amazing produce. We have 80 different varieties of fruits and vegetables we sell. So really cool. I just love like building stuff and managing people and working with people and learning new things. So I'm always like looking for the next thing. Um, So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Oh, seven figure flipping is a coaching business. We have a uh, real estate masterminds, single family and multifamily masterminds um, in uh, from people all around the country. We have a bunch of people overseas as well. So um, that's that's where I spend most of my time. Seven Figure Flipping is where I spend almost all my time. And me being able to raise a lot of money has allowed me to be involved in a lot of these other companies and businesses that I'm involved in. So uh, that's my background in maybe a couple of minutes. Uh, yeah, I think awesome. you asked me, would you ask me my first milestone?
0: Yeah. What's your first milestone in real estate? Okay. Um, there's a lot.
1: My, my first one, my first like really impactful one was probably the first house that I flipped. I had owned, like, I started buying like a couple rentals. I, I moved around for the Navy. So I'd buy a house and then I would maybe fix it up a little bit and rent it out when I, I'd live in it for a couple of years. And then when I moved, I would rent it out. So I had like, I had like two of these rental properties at a time. And I was trying to buy, I was buying my third rental property. And I was buying, I started understanding that there's a whole underground. You mentioned the book, Seven Figure Flipping Underground. There's an underground world of real estate where you can buy houses at 50 or 60 cents on the dollar. It really does exist. I didn't know anything about it. I was paying retail for homes. Um, And then I started buying, I started looking at auction websites. This is when there were foreclosure auctions going on. This is like 2015, right around there. So, I, I found this foreclosure website and I, I was buying this house and a real estate agent found it for me. I was still working with agents. Real estate agents were finding ideals deals on the MLS. And she, she said, you know, I, bu- I bought it and I was going to fix it up as a rental. But after I bought it, she said, you know, you could fix this up and sell it and make quite a bit of money. She wanted a second commission, right? She wanted the sale commission. Um, but she was right. I fixed it up. I made $43,000. And that was like half of my salary for the year. Totally changed my perspective on what's possible. And uh, then I said, well, maybe I can do this again. It took me six months to find my next deal, but I did it again. I made $45,000 on the next one. And now I was kind of off the races. So that's probably my first like real estate milestone was getting, you know, making 43 grand in six months and seeing half my salary come in. Um, The downside of that Ben was when I did the math and I found out I was making about $12 and 50 cents an hour while I was working Mm -hmm. there pretty much every day for six months. So, um, when I did that math a few years later, I realized there's probably a better way to flip houses and, and wholesale houses and make money in real estate at scale. And I'd say the real next milestone that I had was joining a mastermind group, like paying money for to be around people. So you've already learned this. You went to an event. I wouldn't even go to an event. I wouldn't buy a book. I was insanely cheap. I thought I could figure it all out for free. And um, getting around the right people really changed the game for me. So my next milestone was going from doing one house a, d- a year to doing 67 houses in eight months. And that was because of a real uh, mastermind group that I joined.
0: Yeah, well, that's amazing. And I definitely, there's a lot of doors you opened for us to talk about. I do remember that I heard the story of you, um, the first house you bought, not as a flip, that uh didn't seem like it went as well as, as your first flip. But um, I wanted to bring that up because I am i also wanted, i we have some um, military listeners, so I also wanted to touch on the VA loan and kind of how you use that in your when you're starting out and you know the significance of that opportunity that not everyone might be familiar with given that we also have a fha loan for people who are not in the military which is similar but i'd love to hear you touch on that a little bit Anybody yeah so the, first story
1: yeah the fha loan is great for the folks that aren't in the military it's a low money down loan but you're you're paying a pmi so private mortgage insurance so it's gonna be a little bit higher and that's usually what stops a lot of people i, I would recommend it not stop you i would always look at out-of-pocket costs versus the return on your investment. So um, I I just, just be careful kind of um, talking yourself out of it or thinking you need to save up 20%. I thought I needed to save up 20% for all the houses I bought. So the first couple of rentals I had, I saved up 20% to buy the first one. And the second one, Um, I sold a car to buy that one. And then I took a loan from my 401k to buy the next one. So um, I realized after, you know, a couple of years I didn't actually have to do all that. Uh, The VA loans great specifically for military folks. Um, no money down. So 0% down. So the first time I used it was a brand new construction house that I was going to live in and then rent out afterwards. So I put no money down, bought a really great house for a couple hundred grand. And that was the time where there was a cap to it. So there's a ceiling to the VA loan and how much you could borrow. That's been lifted recently. And I'm also a, um, a disabled veteran now. So I have a disability rating and that waives my uh, funding fee. So the funding fee is, the, is basically equivalent to um, you have to pay something out of pocket to, for, to the DB, for the VA. It's their, their version of insurance, basically. And because uh, all the VA loans are backed by the VA. So with that, with that um, the funding fee, it's waived if you're a disabled veteran. But the cool thing, if you're not, is you can roll it into the loan. So that funding fee that might seem like a lot of money is only probably costing you $10 or $15 a month extra on top of what you're paying in your mortgage. So great, great tool to use. Um, if you're looking for it as an investment opportunity, um, you do have to live in the house for a year. So that's the challenge with the VA loan as an investment tool. But um, a great way to use it, and I would recommend it, especially to your younger listeners, is to buy a duplex, triplex, or quad and rent out the other rooms where you can basically house house hack, house hack your VA loan where you're not paying any, any mortgage at all or you're making money on the house that you live in. So if I was younger, if I didn't have three kids and a wife, that would kill me if I bought a quad. Um, I would absolutely be living in, I would actually be living in, if I was still like single and young, I'd be using my VA loan to buy a quad, if I could find a fourplex, I'd live in one of the units and I would probably rent out the rooms in my unit and I'd rent out all three of the other units to just make as much money as I possibly could and just put it all towards real estate and just kind of grow and double and triple that money as I got older. So that's my advice to any military listener.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's my my plan is definitely do it with the FHA loan if I can, which is three and a half percent down. So not as good as zero. Zero sounds pretty good, but um, it's uh the fact that even if you're not making a ton of money, when you're paying rent, all that money is you're never gonna see that money ever again. But with uh, when you when you even if it might be more than rent, you're paying it to yourself essentially because when you cash out when you sell the property, if you sell the property, you're gonna realize um that money back because you're you're paying down the principal. Even though there's some interest involved. But um just the even if you're not banking on appreciation, even if you're not banking on rent, simply the principal pay down can can generate a lot of a lot of wealth. Um, because you got leverage there. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, so moving forward, you have I guess at this point you have many different real estate businesses. But I wanna touch on that, that point, that critical point when it came became too much to be um our. Your involvement in real estate was too much to also have a full time job and then but also you have a full time job, balancing that and kind of choosing which route to go. I'm I'm curious to see like what, what advice you'd have for someone in um, you know, who's interested in pursuing real estate but also have a has a job that they can't leave yet. I'm kind of you know, I just wanna see what you have learned about that.
1: Yeah. So I when I was building my business. So I was flipping my first house. The story that I told, I was a test pilot for the Navy in Patuxent river, Maryland. So I was down in, um, Southern Maryland and I was, I bought a rental there and I flipped this other house. And then I moved to Pensacola, Florida, where I was a flight instructor. And at, at that point I was, uh, I flipped that second house made 45 K. Then I joined the mastermind group there. We had just had a baby. Uh, my son was about a year, year and a half old at this time. And, um, I started growing the company. Uh, we were we did 67 houses the first year. I did about uh, seven hundred thousand dollars in and gross profit. So like not necessarily like top line revenue for a, a, if somebody's listening that runs a company. And the next year after that, I did one point three million. We did a hundred and thirty five houses the next year, one point three five million. And then we did hundred and eighty seven houses the year after that. I was still active duty military. I still had a full time job and I was running this company. Um, on the side, basically, uh, it's just like a side hustle that turned into a pretty big company with a a team of about 12 to 13 people a few years down the road. And um, I would have kept, I would have stayed active duty and stayed in the military if I didn't have to get deployed. If I, I, I always tell people, I, I'm going to keep doing this until I don't love it anymore. And what I found was I started thinking about real estate and my business way more than I thought about flying and all the stuff that I was doing. It's just my passion had kind of shifted a little bit and I was getting ready to go have to work a desk. And so I didn't want to go to a desk job. Uh, they were going to take me potentially out of the cockpit. And so at that point, I got out of active duty and went in the reserves where I could keep flying because flying is really the thing that I wanted to do. So I could kind of uh, work part-time five days a month, keep flying, keep doing my job and, um, and still flip in wholesale houses and run my company. So I, I would tell people most of the time it's just like follow your passion. Like if you if you find yourself at work and you're just on like Zillow all the time and you're on, going to Home Depot during lunch breaks and you're you're running to a project and you're working on it, um, typically your full time job is holding you back from your possibility and your capability. Like the amount of capacity that you have, uh, you're like you know what I'm gonna I'm just gonna do more real estate. To the point where real estate is eclipsed, my full-time job is get, making me more money than that, and then I'll go. Then I'll go do it. And, but you can't figure out how to do that because you're spending 40 to 60 hours a week working in your full-time job. Um, so I always just tell people like, just follow your passion. Like, go do that if you're really good at it. If you love it and you have the ability to make money, which in real estate, anything that you do, you can make a lot of money. Um, just go do that. Like, go do that. It'll work itself out. It'll be okay. So if you're out there and you're like, I hate my job. Um, you're doing some real estate on the side, and you wish you could do more of it. Um, I bet you could replace your full-time job faster if you didn't have it. So um, sometimes you got to kind of jump what when you a little bit before you think you're ready, and um, and kind of build the airplane on the way down. So that's kind of the advice I would give. I wouldn't put yourself in financial distress, but there's always another job like if you want to go get another job, you can probably get a better one that makes you more money Um, if the real estate thing doesn't work out for you. So I, I was in a I was in a unique situation. My son um, had a heart defect. He was about to be born, our middle son, his name's James, and he needed open heart surgery. So I picked up my family, moved from Pensacola to Nashville in about seven days, bought a house sight unseen for cash um, because I knew what I was doing in real estate and I had some money and we just moved and then I left the Navy. So that's kind of Um, but they were going to take me out of the cockpit. They're going to put me at a desk. Um, I was able to get four more years of flying uh, before COVID hit. And then I have to fly a desk now, which kind of stinks, Uh, but I only got two more months. So that's my story in a nutshell. Uh, If you're out there and you're like, I want to quit my job, then just go quit your job. Like go quit your job. You got a passion for real estate, go do it. Um, If you can free up, you know, 40 to 60 hours, if not a hundred hours a week to just work on real estate, you can make it happen a lot faster.
0: Absolutely. And so, I, I know you, I guess you started the, you started with flipping and wholesaling um, in the, yeah, I guess that's the, this is the initial entryway into the into the real estate world. I'm curious now, if you have a perspective on the market with regard to to flipping that we have higher interest rates, it's, you know, it doesn't feel like we're on just like this incredible like upward trajectory up a, up a hill, you know, like the market's definitely a little bit, it, it's, prices have already come down a lot in a lot of respects like is now the time to do flipping is like does it does the business still work like if people who bought a property 3 months ago are they going to be all right now i'm curious just in terms of the market of flipping like is it this seems like the ultimate risk in flipping that the market turns i want to know what do you think about that um yeah i think
1: uh it is and it always will be um you can make money in any market up market down market sideways market flat market doesn't doesn't matter Um, If you know what you're doing, you can make money. Now, if the market's going to shift and change the inventory that you were holding before might not be as valuable as, as you thought it was going to be, and that is going to affect your business. But right now, can you flip and make money? Yes. Can you wholesale houses and make money? Yes. Can you buy apartments and make money? Yes. Can you buy mobile homes and make money? Yes. Can you buy real estate notes and make money? Yep. Can you do hard money lending and transactional funding? Yes. So you just need to know how you need to understand how. And um, you mentioned, so I started as a flipper. Then I became a wholesaler. After So I was flipping first. I was really a landlord first, buying houses off the MLS as a landlord. Then I started flipping houses. Then I became a wholesaler. And then I became a business owner. I built a massive mega business. And I'll always be a business owner and entrepreneur going forward. Um, and then I started doing a whole lot of other things. Then I started doing multifamily. Then I started lending money. Then I started buying these owner finance properties. And the cool thing is every market will show you something. There's a gap. There's an area that's underserviced. So there's always going to be people buying houses, fixing them up and selling them. There's just, it just is. In 2008, in 2007, in 2006, in 2010, there were people making money in this. But there's, there were people losing money because they didn't know what they were doing. So um, the key is you've got to buy right. You've got to understand the market. you got to understand the business. you got to look at entry and exit. If you're going to be a flipper, you you run a uh, the wholesalers run a pawn shop, flippers basically run a grocery store. It's all inventory management. It's all inventory management. If stuff goes bad, like you cannot expect to for the market to continue to go up, and you're going to buy like you can do things wrong. You got to have your operations tight. You got to understand money, and you got to understand the dynamics. There's people buying houses on a regular basis, like. My uncle called me the other day on a Friday and he's like, oh, what should I do? Bill, my house, I got it listed. It's been three weeks, no offers. We, I said, how many showings have you had? He's like, a ton of showings. I said, okay, it's been three weeks. He's like, I know, it's supposed to sell on the first day. I was like, why? Why do you think it's gonna sell on the first day? Because he had been conditioned to think it's gonna sell on the first day. I remember when my flips would take three months to sell and I was still making money. And I said, just be patient. He's like, we should lower the price like 10 or 20,000, don't you think? And I was like, no, just be patient calls me the next day he goes i got an offer you know he had two sh- he goes I, you know, on that call he says i got two showings today i said all right maybe one of them make the offer you just got to find the right buyer now the right buyer will see the house and they'll be all over it got a got a great offer the next day calls me up what should i do i said make a small counter it's a good offer counter it's more than you expected to get you told me on the phone how much you were you would take yesterday and now you want more be realistic <laughs> accept the price and and move on there's people buying houses all the time like we need houses so um, I realize I'm I'm getting kind of like verbose on this, but so many people are like, when should I get started? Uh, yesterday, you should have got started yesterday. And if yesterday is not the right time because it's already passed, then right now, like right now, you're listening to this right now, stop going. Like, honestly, the people said to me when the market was high, they're like, I'm not getting into real estate because the market's too high. It's too expensive. I'm like, what are you talking about? And now that the market has kind of like flattened or gone down in some areas or stabilized, they're like, oh, now's not the right time because it's going to crash. I'm like, dude, when is the right time? Like, you're, All you are is one, like, you want to hit it perfect. Just, just start. Just go. And so the other thing to think about is real estate is hyper local. So when you quote prices that are down or up or flat or things like that, or the market has shifted, like maybe in your area, maybe not in your area. Like real estate is hyper local. I have clients and I have people in my mastermind all around the country, in Canada, down Mexico, overseas. Like the market is hyper local. I have people in very small towns making millions of dollars. And I got people in really big cities making millions of dollars. Like it's just it's really local. What's what's what it looks like in Southern California might not be what it looks like in rural Indiana. And so, I mean, there's money to be made all the time in real estate. It's really cool. It does not discriminate against people, and uh, and it's available and right there in front of you. Just reach down and pick it up.
0: Absolutely, and I guess um, sourcing deals is. I guess you have to buy right. That was that was your initial premise of this of this whole of this part of the podcast. But I'm curious in terms of what are your strategies for buying right? And I'm I'm thinking like, you know, the market might be at some level, but you want to buy less than what the prices are, you want to buy relatively low compared to where they are now. Right. I'm curious, like what what's your you, you mentioned auction sites, but I guess I want to get a little more into how you find those deals that, you know, you're like, yeah, this is this is the right one for sure.
1: Yep. So then the number one thing that you need is you need to stress. And that doesn't mean distress house. So don't get confused if you're listening to this. It doesn't mean the nasty beat up house. That could be, that could be part of it but you have got to identify distress in the person, in the seller. So if you really want to get a deal, you got to go straight to the seller. You've got to be able to talk to the person who's signing over their property. And what you're doing is you're trying to trade equity in their house for speed and ease of transaction. You want somebody who needs to sell their house quickly and doesn't want to use a realtor, doesn't want to list it on the MLS, doesn't want to wait because they have some sort of problem. They want money fast. So I talk about the pawn shop. When you walk into a pawn shop, you know that you're not getting full price for the thing that you're bringing in there, right? Let's call it Grandma's diamond ring, your grandmother's diamond ring. You're walking to the pawn shop. You know that you're getting about fifty cents on the dollar, but you didn't put it up on eBay. You didn't put it on Facebook Marketplace. You didn't take it to a jewelry store. You didn't take. You didn't try to sell it to your friend or family member or put it on Craigslist or wherever you put a diamond ring these days. I have no idea. You didn't try to get market value or anywhere near market value. You walk into a pawn shop. People walk into the pawn shop knowing that they're going to get a discounted rate because they want the money in their hand when they walk out, right? And that's what that's what finding distress and off-market buyers are doing. That seller is going to trade equity. They understand that they're not getting full price. They, they know that willingly. You're not talking them into it. They're coming to you saying, I need your help. And you're trading them equity for ease and speed of transaction. That's it. That's the game. That is finding distress. I need distress. It could be a divorce. It could be medical bills. It could be that they just got arrested. It could be, um, they have like back taxes is not distress. The reason they didn't pay their taxes is distress. It could be a layoff. They might not have a job. They might be medically disqualified to work. They might, lots of things. They might've inherited a home. Even inheriting a home is not necessarily putting them in distress, right? They might be tired landlords. Being a tired landlord, the distress comes from that, that person that was running the house for the last three years has totally destroyed it. They live you know, 10 hours away. They don't want to come down there. They're tired of it. They're sick of it. They just want it gone. It's a headache. It's causing problems in their marriage. It's causing other issues in their life. It's causing them to overeat. It's causing them to be stressed out and they just want it gone. And they're willing to trade equity for ease and speed of transaction. So if you find a distressed seller, they might have a perfectly beautiful house that's brand new that they're willing to sell at to discounts just to be done with it. And so I'd ask anybody that's listening, have you ever sold something for less than it's worth? A car, a boat, a baseball card, a hat, some clothes. Have you ever given things away just to get rid of it? You were distressed. At some point, you just wanted something gone and you're willing to trade Equity in it, the amount of value that it has for just to be done with it. It could be a TV, it could be anything. Like you've all done it. This just happens to be a house. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for distress. And so the next question might be, where do you find that? Well, you start thinking. You start thinking about where that lives and and, and what what people are doing. Now, the marker people are teaching all the time, like, oh, drive around and look for really crappy houses, right that aren't mm-hmm. being kept up. That's like a marker, an identifier of a potential distress seller, but nobody's going to sell a beat up house if they're not in distress and it's doing something for them. And it's not a problem. They're just not going to sell it for a discount. They might, That's why you get, are getting people that are asking market rate. You've got to find distress. So I mentioned a bunch of things. You could look for divorce. You could, you could look for some of the markers, um, vacant home, uh, tax delinquent, code violations, water shutoffs, lists, things like this. And you're looking for lists of people that are likely to sell their house at a discount because they're in a distressed situation. That's what you do. And that's all awesome. in that book, by the way, Ben. You should just read that. Book. It's all in that book. Like all the Absolutely.
0: To So <laughs> Perfect. Um, so you've broadened your your approach to real estate and your different ways of being there. I'm curious, I guess I want to hear how... Your journey into these different avenues of real estate, and then kind of you know what had to change your mentality to be able to do multifamily coming from from single family, if anything, um and kind of um you're just how and then at this point, how are you able to stay on top of all of it?
1: Um, okay. so the reason why I transitioned from single family to multifamily is specifically because I was paying a lot of taxes. So I'm a real estate dealer. Basically, I'm buying and selling hundreds of houses a year at this point. And I was making a bunch of money and I was getting taxed. And I got a sick, I got like a tax bill for like 150 grand one year. I was like, this, I can't keep doing this. I got to figure out how to not get taxed at such a high rate. So what I started doing is I started taking my money, started taking all the money that I was making, and I started investing it with another syndicator, a friend of mine who used to be in my mastermind group, a single family mastermind. They went and started doing multifamily real estate. And I put would put hundreds of thousands of dollars in their deals to get the tax deduction. So I, I was working on that. So when I started doing that, I started writing off taxes because of bonus depreciation. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So I did that for a couple of years. And then they needed help raising money. So I started coming in as a general partner to be the investor relations person, the capital raiser and the funder for the deals and using my net worth to sign on the debt to help them buy bigger assets. So... That was kind of my transition into multifamily real estate. There wasn't a big mindset shift that had to happen for me. I was already raising money. It was actually easier. because so I was raising money for single family houses, flips. And when I told my investors about that, they're like, about multifamily real estate and how they can get tax deduction, cash flow, net worth growth, all these things. And they were and participate in the upside of the deals. They were like, well, sign me up. Like, I'll just move my money over. So now I'm I'm having trouble funding my single family houses because of that, right? So that's kind of my transition from single family to multifamily real estate. Um, I do, I do I, for me, investing in some of those deals was a little bit of challenging at first. I had to start understanding what I was looking for. But as an investor, it wasn't that hard. I was looking for a certain you know, um, IRR or return on my money, right? I'm looking for a certain cash flow. I really was looking for depreciation and, um, and net worth growth. I didn't need a lot of cash flow because I had quite a bit of active income. So just understanding how to underwrite some of those deals, how to understand them, the questions to ask, those kind of things were a bit of a transition, but I mean, it's just like putting an extra zero on the check. So it's not, it wasn't, it, looking back, it was probably more challenging than I remember. But um, now, like once you do it and and jump in, it's, it's not that bad. And I would I would recommend anybody who wants to start there to just start there. The biggest advice I can give is you don't have to start in single family real estate if you want to do multifamily real estate. You could start there, and I see a lot of people thinking that they have to come to me for wholesaling or flipping when they can just come to us directly for multifamily. And um and if that's where you want to be and what you want to do, then just go straight there. Like, don't let anybody tell you that you can't because you can. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter anything. You can.
0: Absolutely, that's that's a a good a good lesson. Um, you do multifamily and you do single family and you do debt and have a farm. You have all this. I want to hear how do you manage your time. How do you make sure these businesses run smoothly? But you know how, from a personal perspective, how do, how do you manage the the workflow and the workload as well?
1: Um, I, I I don't really. It's uh uh. Let's see. So how do I manage my time? Um, I try to be efficient with the time that I spend. I try to do things really quickly and like a process and systematically. Um, but it's The biggest challenge I have is is trying to manage a lot of things really, really well. The recommendation I have is to drill down deep and get one thing going, get it running, hand it off to somebody else, and then go do the next thing. I see a lot of people try to do five things at one time, and they're like building all five things. Um, I think that's the challenge. I try to, so I'll give you an example. I, I was building my real estate business, my single family house, big and wholesaling business. I was just focused on that. Like it was that, and, and I had my flying job, right? So I had to keep my flying job going while I was building that. I built that up and I got a COO in place and I handed it off to my chief operating officer. COO ran the whole company. I met with him every other week for two hours. And that's when I can go do some of the coaching stuff, right? Build that up, get that going, get it to the point where it's running. And then I can bring a COO in, somebody to run that business on a day-to-day, go somewhere else. And that's, I kind of like, I there was a, Like the hard money lending business, some of the other stuff, like I'm the money person in multifamily, I'm the money person in the hard money lending business, I'm the money person in the owner finance. So it's all kind of like money, like raising capital is the job. So I can just kind of point to three different places. So that's, I look at that as like one vertical, right? Raising money, bringing money in the door. And and that gets me involved in those things. And then the farm, the farm is a great example. I started building up the farm and it was like taking a ton of my time and my energy and stuff like that especially the first year. The first year I was like over there all the time. The crops weren't growing that well. I had a consultant in the, and somebody that I hired to bring in to help me, but he wasn't on site and he would check in on it and then he would teach and coach. And I had a lady in the neighborhood who was managing it all for me, uh, but she had, didn't have any experience in farming. So the second year I was like, you, this guy's, you got to come live here. Like I told my consultant, I was like, you got to come live in this house. Let's trade labor for free rent, live in the house on the farm and let's and you run it, like, let me hand it off to you. And you run all the vegetables, you make all everything go. And then all I have to do is the marketing and sales of our stuff and manage the money. And so I got him handed it off to him. So each time I try to hand it hand things off to people. And I just have like, try to get really good people around me and train them to help me. And so like right now, on the back of the computer, like behind you, well, not behind you, but behind the computer of where we're talking <laughs> is uh, my chief of staff. So she's like watching email and, and answering my phone from time to time and try to manage my calendar and my schedule and, and and do lots of different things throughout the different businesses to try to help me. And it's not easy. Like she's probably got the hardest job in the world. She does, I, I know she does. And it's not easy because she has to deal with me and she has to deal with all the partners and all the people and all the problems and all, all the things. And she gets hit with all these issues that we're trying to solve and I'm also trying to like coach and train her and build her up so that she can make decisions on her own without me to to run all this stuff in the future so um trying to get people in place really high level great people um and you like casting your vision and talking about what you're what you want to do and make sure that what they see and that they want to do fits underneath what you want to do that's um that's the hard part and that's what I'm continuing to work on now but Like I didn't, I didn't build it all at one time. It was like individual building blocks that now run without me and I can just check on them and and do things. But when things blow up and there's a problem, they always call, they always call me, they always call (laughs) the owner, right? They always call the the person. And so that, but that, that's, that's why you have the opportunity to, you take the risk to make the money, right?
0: Absolutely. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And just remind me of the book, The E-Myth where you start, when you build a business, you start by, you know, creating this org chart, but you fill every seat, but then there's, already, there's processes in place in those seats that eventually you could fill in with a new person. And eventually every single part of the business can be filled in with a person and you don't, you know, it's going to run smoothly, even, even though you started at the beginning doing it all. So that, that, that's a pretty cool analogy. And I guess, um, you ready for the lightning round? Sure, yeah. All right, so to start, what superpower would you want if you could choose any superpower? I'd want to be able to fly. Awesome. It's common in real estate. You get to check the roofs, make sure there's no damage. <laughs> no, I just Honestly. want to fly
1: around. I just want to fly around, man. I fly around in my airplane all the time. I just want to be able to. I don't need the airplane. I don't pay for it. I can just put my arms up and off I go.
0: Yeah. I'll go. Awesome. So I'm not checking what's your... out any
1: roofs, man. I'm just flying around the neighborhood.
0: I, so I say I want to go fly and get Japanese food in Japan.
1: There you go. Off <laughs> we go. That'd be awesome.
0: Awesome. So, what's your favorite book or what's the one that's helped you the most?
1: Oh man. Um, is this, what's my favorite book other than the Bible? Um, sure. Okay. Cause I'll use that one. And then the second one would, oh, but this is tough. Uh, I'm going to give you two. I just have to. Uh, Extreme Ownership is one of my favorites. Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Uh, amazing Navy Seals that wrote the book. The audio book is even better. To go listen to it on Audible. And then uh, Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson. Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson. Those two books probably like on the marketing side and 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 who I am as a uh, per, per, personality on stage and all that stuff. Expert Secrets. And then uh, as a leader, as a um, building businesses and core values, Extreme Ownership.
0: Yeah, read both of those. The audio book for Extreme Ownership is, is on like anything. It's actually I think one. I think it's one of the best audio books. I've ever listened for sure to 100%. hands down hands yeah. down yeah i don't Forget know can't intensity. hurt me i i
1: enjoyed can't hurt me with david goggins audiobook too so
0: see there's two intense intense guys or a bunch yeah. of intense guys but yeah that's awesome so what motivates you to continue every day
1: um i would say the thing that motivates me the most is just my desire to learn new things and to win like um i i, if, I mean if i really think about it it's impact like i i recently got really clear on what what I want to do with my life. And um, I want to make a difference before I die. And so um, that's, that's interesting to me, like making an impact on other people's lives. I'm giving the reason I'm here is I hope one person listens to this and it changes something for them. They get something out of it. And uh, one day we bump into each other and they say, they say, Hey, I heard you on this thing, or uh, this thing happened, or they, they don't even tell me, they tell somebody else. And, you know, I just, if one, if I can help one person, I'm going to continue to do what I do. So um that and i i just i like to build stuff and i like to i like to grow and expand and uh every day i learn something new and grow and have an opportunity to help somebody else do the same
0: yeah on that note definitely you giving me the 50 mark made it made it so i had no choice but to get to 50 episodes just so you know i might have i I think i would have gotten here but i definitely um once you gave me the the mark i couldn't I, it wasn't even a chance for me to rationalize, not, not doing it. So. Well, well, I'll come back on when you get to 200. (laughs) Awesome. So uh, what advice would you give to someone who has to follow in your footsteps?
1: Um, The biggest piece of advice I give you today is don't, don't compare yourself to anybody else. Like don't compare like your, where you are, like your chapter one or chapter two to somebody else's chapter 10. There's a really a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes uh, before you ever see anyone in the light. So like the, all the work in the dark goes on for years and years and years before you ever see somebody. Um, So the biggest thing I'll say is like, just take your like next right step for you and just keep going, like keep pushing, take action and, and, and don't, the comparison is really, really the problem right now. Social media, the speed of information, it's just, it's all challenging right now. Everybody wants to be more, do more. And they see somebody else who they think got there really, really fast, but it, it took a lot of work and a lot of time to be able to get to that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that means a lot. Um and since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So what's one question you'd have for me?
1: Um, where do you see yourself in five years?
0: In five years, I see myself um owning multifamily properties, um, beginning that not beginning, but having already begun that piece of my journey. Um, where I'm I'm I guess I'm in I right now my goal is to learn as much and get as much tangible real experience um hopefully having bought my first property um first like fha property first like fourplex with the, in the short in the short range but at that, in 5 years i definitely want to be at the point where i'm starting to go bigger and and broader um reason i love multifamily is cuz i think that indefinitely people are still going to want to have a roof over their head while they sleep so that simple math is why I'm I'm willing to make a big bet on that. I'm I'm t- 21 years old. I think that this will be a safe bet in perpetuity, which is harder to say about everything else. Um, so that's kind of the the practical way of thinking about it. But um, yeah. Hey, guess- before
1: you end this, let me give you a piece of coaching right here. Um, mm-hmm. And this is free. I won't even charge you. I promise.
0: The um the biggest piece of advice
1: I can get I give you is get really clear. Get really clear. Number one, none of that stuff. It should take you five years where you are right now, you'd be there next year. No doubt. Have bought your first multifamily building, have bought your first uh, even single family or fourplex with, I mean, I call it fourplex, a single family building, right? Um, it, it, and with your FHA loan, like it does not take you that long. What you need to do is you need to get around other people who are going faster than you, who know more than you, smarter than you, and are willing to share it and, and you can be like lightning, like 10 times further in five years than you ever think possible. Um, and get really clear, like use numbers, use very specific things and think about where you're going to be next year. Where you're going to be in three years, where you're going to be in five years and 10 years. And if you do that, I'm telling you, like you can accomplish way more than you think that you can. I'm telling you, you will be way further along. So get crystal clear on it, be able to, to see it, it's already happened in your mind, and then the actions just become natural. So, um, that's the challenge that I would give you. You can go a lot further than you think that you can five years from now, um, but you got to get crystal clear on it. You got to look at it every day and you got to think about it. And that goes for anybody who's listening. So, if I bet if I asked everybody, they would stumble through it. They don't know. They're, they're not clear, but you're doing this. You've done, you've interviewed a bunch of people. You don't need to keep gaining knowledge. You need to take more action. That's it. Like, you've got knowledge, you've got information. We're drowning in information out there. Everybody that's listening needs to just go out there and make offers, write LOIs, do all the things that they know that they need to do to get deals. And find for you, find the right people that you can attach to that can help you. Go work for somebody that's buying multifamily right now, potentially. Go say, hey, can I volunteer? Can I help you? Um, You probably don't have the net worth to sign on an $8 million loan right now, but somebody else does and somebody else needs your help and wants your help and is willing to take you along with them. So uh, that's a big piece of advice. There you go.
0: I appreciate it. I definitely keep that in mind more than keep in mind definitely take it to heart so um well bill appreciate you coming on to on the show um appreciate you keeping your word <laughs> awesome that we got to do this and um appreciate all the advice and i'm sure everyone listening has learned a lot so thanks again um bill and everyone keep making milestones before you go i just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of real estate milestones if you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support, and keep making milestones.
1: The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.